Welcome to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling, the ESPN for all things comedy, with your hosts, Mark Riccadonna and Richie Byrne. And now, grab a drink and welcome Mark Riccadonna and Richie Byrne. Hello and welcome to Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. I'm your host, Mark Rigadon, and with me as always is not Richie Byrne. Uh, Richie is doing warm-up for Drew Barrymore, so he this whole month I think he's going to be trying to sneak in when he can, but uh, he's got a lot, of, a lot on his plate. So um, we switched to afternoon so we could both be free, and then he picked up an afternoon gig. So good for him, getting out of doing this. Good for him. God bless him. I feel like he's well, doing more than Tom ever Bannis. on the show. Our producer, it's, Tom Bannis, is joining us. It's true. It's true. I'm excited to be here. We've had so much going on. The uh, If anybody hasn't checked out all those past episodes on the YouTube channel, you definitely want to do that now. We've got so many clips going up recently. We've just clipped, eclipsed that 4,000 hours of people watching us. So join the crowd. And we need those subscribers. We're trying to get over 1,000 on there. To uh, add to it, you've been on the go like crazy lately, my friend. You're out I, about gigging everywhere. I haven't stopped. It's been it's stupid. Like I'm actually today was the first time I got to sleep in without somebody knocking on the door asking me to entertain them. Uh, I was just <laughs> in Texas. Uh, dude, I'm so exhausted. I think I aged like five years in a weekend. And uh, I can see it on your face. I can Dude, see it. Yeah, and now I'm supposed to go to New York City and audition for a theater company. So that's exciting. I'm going to go in. They're going to be like, "Yeah, if we ever need a grandpa, I'm sure we can <laughs> find a role for you." Um, theater. That that's yeah, interesting. Theater is always about like uh, like all singing and such, and I feel like that ties into oh, my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love your segue, but not me. I don't sing. that's true that's why i brought this other gentleman out with us today not only is he very funny in his own right but he's also an incredible musician let's welcome on uh justin gonzalez tenor justin how you guys doing good to have (laughs) you with us i'm digging those glasses man Thank you. It's because I am. My eyes are still tired. I'm not used to waking up until the crack of noon. So actually, being functional at two o'clock in the afternoon—that's this is a morning show for you. It absolutely. This is this is it, Ellen DeGeneres with less beatings. <laughs> <laughs> just slightly, just slightly, and and the morning is M O U R N I N G. I'm mourning that I'm still not hugging on my pillow, but uh, it's great to see you guys. I feel like, my goodness, well, Mark, you know, you and I uh, have have, uh, done a couple of things together relatively recently, so that's been nice. But Tom, I haven't seen you in a few months, man. I know. I'm just a creepy voyeur that's been watching you two work together in the videos of it all. Oh, (laughs) my. But I loved your show. You guys did an incredible uh, Laugh Pack show that was very reminiscent of of the Rat Pack. Mark was spot on with his Dean Martin look. Well, I had the drunk part down. Um, <laughs> Mike Michael Demar just said he jumped in. He thought he heard uh, that he's doing Drew Barrymore. 
He is, but uh, not in the good way. He's just warming up the audience. <laughs> Sorry, I, uh, I I misread that. He's like, wait, wait, he's warming up Drew Barrymore? My goodness. Either how, how high has Richie come or how far has Drew fallen? You know? I heard she needs a fluffer for that show. So. <laughs> good position for great. Richie. Thank you, Michael, for tuning in. We have a fellow Floridian as our guest. Oh, Indeed. My. Yeah, Michael's uh, out of Florida, if you guys remember. But uh, I, uh, I, I'm excited to bring him on. Um, I've heard this guy's name from several comics that I should get to know this guy, that I would love him. And, of course, my hard head I never remember. And uh, then I worked with him. And even the guy, uh, Brian, at Side Splitters was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the perfect weekend. The two of you together is going to be so much fun. And we worked together. And then I emailed <laughs> My two friends that literally just told me to look him up that I would I'd like I literally said to JD Shapiro, have you ever met this guy, Steve? And he goes, Yeah, you moron. Scroll up about two days ago when I told you to look up Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually I forgot I wanted to bring Christy on as a special guest, Christy Miller, who's on a lot to uh, surprise Steve, but I completely forgot because of this Texas trip. But our guest today is Steve Simone, everybody. Steve. Hey, guys. Hey, how are you? We got play on music. This is awesome. Okay, there we go. <laughs> JD, by the way, shout out to our buddy JD Shapiro. Oh, I so love it. He came on. He was supposed to come on one episode, and he ended up doing about five in a row. Because he just had so many stories. Stories, yeah. He's worked with legends. Yeah. He had coffee in George Lucas's kitchen. He was best friends with Stan Lee. It's like, who are you, dude? Mel Brooks made his first movie. Yeah, and he's a normal dude from Jersey. That's why I love him, <laughs> dude. I miss yeah. him. Now he lives yeah. in Spain, right? Yeah, he's in yeah. Spain. He's uh, he's at kicking ass. He he just did a new short film uh, that I got I got a chance to watch, and it's winning awards everywhere. The guy's, uh, the guy's really, he's kicking ass, but he says he misses us. So that, that just goes to show you. We all think, oh, my God, I'd do anything to be there. He wants to come back yeah, and just yeah. do stand-up. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So, Steve, you're originally from Philly. Which part? I'm not from the city. I'm from a beautiful place called Delaware County, Pennsylvania. It's, oh, go. It's so funny that, like, I left Delco 20 years ago to head to LA. And now, in the, like, since I left Philly, it's like everybody knows exactly what that means. Everybody in that region knows where, what Delco means. <laughs> so I, like, it's it's kind of like where people work jobs that they hate to support people they love. That That's how I always describe oh, wow. it. It's kind of like a, a spring... A Springsteen song without the guitars. You know, it's just like, <laughs> let's just go to Wawa and get a coffee. That's Delco. <laughs> well, I like that Delco stuck with that because where I'm from in Youngstown, Ohio, is like a Springsteen song. But I go back to visit my parents now. It's just Guy Fieri and Kid Rock. Are they from there? Oh, that's no, right. but it's just huh. just white trash. <laughs> Youngstown, like, isn't that Dean Martin's area? Yeah. Like stomping grounds. Yeah, then, have you ever hung out with Tony Hinchcliffe? I think that's his whole. That's his. He's from there as well. What a small. I, uh, never hung out with him. The only the, the two guys that I know from Youngstown that are uh, 
you know, do, that uh, I actually got to hang out with was uh, Boom Boom Mancini, who boxed. Really Boom Boom Mancini? Yeah. Legend, God and, bless. And then Mike Vecchione. I don't know if you ever got to work with Mike, but I, I love With uh, Ari Shafir, like, what a nice guy. Yeah. So cool, dude. Why is there so many funny people from Youngstown? Because they'll do anything to get out of it. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So you grew up in Delco, and um, what was your path like? What was as a kid? Because you have so many great stories of your childhood from yeah. uh, that you tell on stage. You have brothers, and you're growing up in this family. What got you? What 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 were you into? And then how did you get into comedy? I think I was always into comedy. You know, like that was. Yeah. That was like, you know, different families are like there. There was a family in our neighborhood. They were like the sports kids, and then there's like the smart kids. We were just always like the funny. Like my dad loves to laugh, and uh, I mean, my earliest memories were of. I mean, I grew up in the perfect pocket for comedy, and I mean, I honestly can remember my parents dropping me off at my grandmother's house when I was a baby. So they could go see Richard Pryor at the Latin Casino. Oh wow! Oh no way! Yeah, like my dad loves comedy. Like I remember one of his prized possessions that he and he'll tell the story to this day about when he met Henny Youngman in a bathroom. Oh and wow! Henny Youngman's business card was a picture of these two cleaning products, Pride and Joy. And he said when he met Henny Youngman, he said, "Hey, take my Pride and Joy." And my dad was like, "This is the greatest thing ever." And like one of my dad's biggest regrets. I'm, I'm sure he's got plenty, but what he talks about is <laughs> Henny Youngman said he like call, if you ever want him to do a gig, he would come by the house, and that was a real thing. Like those old school comics, I think back in the '70s, for like 50 bucks, you could have had Henny Youngman show up and just say, "Take my wife, please," and then that's it. Like, wow, so, yeah. Like my dad he called the number on the card. He thought it would be like a voicemail or something, and he actually <laughs> talked to Henny Youngman's wife. Wow. wow. So, awesome. yeah, I grew up in a comedy house. So, and I grew up in, you know, the 1980s were just such a wonderful time for not just stand up comedy and the explosion of stand up, but like cinematic comedy. Like, yeah, so many good movies. So many good movies. I don't know how to do it anymore. Saturday Night Live yeah. was great sketch comedy, comedic film, sitcom, stand up. It was a glorious, glorious time to be alive. Yeah, I find it interesting that now comedies, they don't have just regular comedies. Like, you remember going to a video store and there was like comedies about everything, everything. and they didn't weren't necessarily like movies that came out to be blockbusters. Like, they came out just to be the funny movie in the theater that week. Yeah, and, and they don't do that anymore. They don't do it. Now it's like you have to have the biggest names. You have to have, uh, you know... $10 billion budget. It's got to be over the top. There's got to be a humongous uh, revelation that happens in the thing. Like before, I feel like when we were growing up, it was just like, oh no, this is a comedy about guys who work in a car factory. Here's a comedy yeah. about guys who eat popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> like Gung Ho was great. Yeah. Great. Oh my God. You were thinking the car factory. Right? So funny. <laughs> Michael Keaton, that guy, what a powerhouse. Yeah. I think that's coming full circle again because now it's because we we're used to the mediums we were used to and that's where the big blockbusters are released but now it's all streaming. So all these yeah. 
regular comedies that are hitting them are coming across on like Amazon Prime or Netflix or this or that, and the youth is able to We're see so of, much more. We're in a golden era of uh, miniseries that aren't necessarily real events. Like, there's a lot of good miniseries shows. Like right now, that show Hacks that's on HBO. It's like basically like a Joan Rivers type comedy hires a hires like a young hipster to help work on her act. And it's pretty good. Like yeah. there's a lot of these like mini series shows that are pretty good, but well, storytelling's changed for sure. Mm. Like, yeah. For sure. Like with the advent of streaming, you, like why tell a two hour movie when, if you like the characters and you can put them in cool situations, tell it over 10, 12 hours or, and then yeah. the opposite of that too. Like, I think a lot of kids, instead of going to comedy movies or watching sketch comedy, it's it you know it's TikTok. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just, really you know, sad the, the attention span. Yeah, I say, what, 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 what kind of candy? But you know, <laughs> yeah, what can I so, consume in thirty seconds? Yeah, yeah, and so you're you're uh, you're doing you know you're being funny in town. You're doing your thing growing up. It's the 80s. Uh, you start to get to high school. What's making you think about doing stand-up for real? Or do you just move straight oh, out? I never LA? thought I could do it for real. But once I did, my goal was I always – my goal as a stand-up comic wasn't like a Netflix special or a sitcom. I defined success that if I could say something that was funny enough that a fat 12-year-old could repeat it at the lunch table – and get to sit down with the cool kids. That's it. Cause that, that's, that's really when comedy started to matter to me. That's when I realized that it could be used to make friends was middle school because that's when, like, I remember discovering plant not like truly tasteless joke books, <laughs> repeating stuff I saw on HBO or in movies that my parents were cool enough to let us watch that maybe some of the other kids weren't allowed to watch. And uh, comedy became a way for me to connect with people. And uh, it was the greatest. And then seeing comedy live, I thought you had to be born special to do it. But I've been blessed beyond belief. Like the first first comedians that I saw live, first one I ever saw live was Dom Irera, the legendary Mr. Dom Irera at the Funny Bone on South Street in Philadelphia. And then I became friends with him. And then the next guy live was Andrew Dice Clay at the Philadelphia Spectrum. My seats were so far away from the stage that I literally could touch the rafters. Like I think I think I was sitting behind like a Flyer Stanley Cup pennant. Like <laughs> that's how far I literally could touch the rafters. And then Dice became my buddy. And then I saw John Panette. The oh. one night I went, oh, okay, if I could ever do this, this would be the coolest thing ever. For my twenty-first birthday. I saw Frank Sinatra at the Sands in Atlantic City, and wow. his, his opening act was John Panette. And then Ooh. after the show, I got to meet the late, great John Panette. And I got to work with him, too. So I yeah. can't believe all those people that influenced me as a teenager, I got to become friends with. That's awesome. Um, amazing. Yeah. Bless what, what brought you to L.A.? Like, did you just pick up and move? Just mm -hmm. That's the same. I was yeah. 17, graduated high school, said, I'm going to New York. Can't be yeah. here anymore. It was desperation. Like I remember I had a buddy in Philly that I ran into about 10 years after the move. And he was like, Stevie, I think about you. 
And it was somebody like, you know, I worked with, I didn't think, and he was like, he goes, I think about you from time to time that you just had the balls to do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know to this day if it was because you had a little brain or big balls, but either way you did it. And I was like, Butchie, it was a little of both. Like, I had no <laughs> idea how difficult it was going to be. Um, you can, it's like getting punched in the face. So you're like, okay, I'm going to say this and I'm going to get punched in the face and I'm going to, I'm going to deal with it. But then when you get punched in the face, you're like, eh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Like that's, <laughs> that's what moving to LA was like for me. I knew it was going to be bad, but I didn't know how bad it was going to be. And I think for me personally, I had to try everything else, everything else before I did comedy. Cause I knew, I knew it was going to be bad. But I was 28 when I started. I drove out to LA when I was like 20, 27 because there was nothing else for me to do. It was either just be completely miserable or give it a shot. And yeah. what are some of those things that you went through before you got there? Like where were your final jobs before you were like, all right, that's it? Oh, well, see, that's, that's why the punch in the face thing is so important because I thought it would get better. Like I thought the struggle would be difficult, but I thought LA would be better. Okay. Like I, I graduated from college. I was a good student. I didn't think you were allowed to do comedy. Like my parents were very supportive. They were like, do whatever you want. And that's how I grew up. Do whatever you want. You know, we just want you to be happy, do what you want. But that culture that told me that the day I got my college diploma, everybody was like, Oh, you got to get a job. And I'm like, but a month ago, you told me I could be whatever I wanted to be. And now you're telling me just get a job. And like, that was kind of like it. Like, it was like, just go to work. Like, what are you talking? This is what life is. Just go to work. And I saw, I was like, I'm miserable now. I I had that first generation quarter life crisis, like at 21, 22. I'm like, this all sucks. If it doesn't going to get better, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got lied to right out of college, took a bad job, quit that within a couple months, I did like three open mics and I'm like, this is what I want to do. But it was like the late nineties comedy was dead. Uh, then I worked in corporate America for a couple of years and that was terrible. Like I collected delinquent credit card accounts. Oh, shit. That does not sound like a fun job for somebody oh, who likes then, to make people laugh. Oh, but then it gets better. Then these idiots, they started, they, they partnered up with an auto insurance company. And what they wanted, this is this what my job was. When you got your credit card statement in the mail, there was also a scratch-off ticket. And okay. it said, scratch off these numbers, maybe you want a brand new BMW. And then I'm the idiot that takes the phone call. And I go, before I check those numbers, we just want you to know we're launching a new auto insurance product. And would you be interested in getting a, a no-strings-attached quote? And then the only people that were selling the auto insurance were lying to people. They were just oh, like, they would just cancel their auto insurance without them knowing, saying they accepted the quote. Wow. Brutal. So then after that, I was like, this sucks. I thought maybe I would go to law school because I thought that would be a job my parents would be proud of. And um, I scored, like, I took one of those law school uh, prep courses. It was called the Kaplan Review. And they guaranteed you, it cost like a thousand bucks in the 90s. And they guaranteed you a, a 10 point jump on your scores. My, I got the 10 point jump, but it went in reverse. <laughs> yeah, honestly. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'm not going to law school. And then uh, I, I was really angry and desperate. And I knew I wanted to do comedy, but I didn't know how to do comedy. And then it was like a scene in a movie. Like my mom was giving me a pep talk. 
because I moved to, after I quit the corporate job, I moved back in with my parents. And I was telling my mom how all the jobs sucked. And I was good. There was a free paper it was called the city paper. And that was like before the internet took over, it was like everything cool in your region for that week, whether it was a comedian, a band, an art exhibit, it was everything cool. It was like paper, social media. Yeah. I was going, and I would go through the one ads in there. I, Cause I didn't know anybody. My parents are teachers. And that was like where my anger started to really surface with how the world worked. Cause my parents are like lovely, beautiful, kind, compassionate Catholic people that raised me for a world that didn't exist, you know? Yeah. And I'm, all these douchebags are getting jobs because their dads are corrupt senators. That's how the world works, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I remember going yeah. through the newspaper with my mom. I'm like, there's no jobs in here that aren't any fun. I'm like, look at this one. Philadelphia Eagles Entertainment Division seeks intern. And I'm like, what is that? And I thought, I didn't think it was the football team. I thought maybe it was like some scam, shady, direct video company. Like the Philadelphia. This is what you've been through. Yeah. <laughs> And I called and I wound up getting an internship with the Philadelphia Eagles cheerleaders and mascot. And it was the greatest. I mean, I wasn't making any money, but I was allowed to park my car at Veterans Stadium for free and hang out and drink free. They had free snacks and coffee there. So <laughs> I hung out every day until they started to pay me. And um, I did that job for a while. And like, what a great organization. Like, Mr. Lori down at the Eagles. There are still people I worked with 25 years ago, 20 years ago, that still work for the Eagles. And I think wow. that says a lot about ownership. Um, yeah. that, that was awesome. That, that that gave me the confidence to live dreams, which was already knocked out of me by the time I was 22. To like mm. no fault of my parents or no fault of my friends. But, we, I, you know, life will kick your ass. I even yeah. had friends that when I was 20 graduated from college are like, you should go to LA. You should go for it. What do you have to lose? Then by the time I was 25, I had friends tell me, they were like, what are you nuts? This is what it is. Just go get a job. Well, you know, was your father. All right. So my parents were very similar. Like my father always said to me, do just do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. Right. And I would be like, okay, but my dad was a sanitation worker. My mother, they're both very like, this is the way the world works. So yeah. I went that route. I just started doing what made me happy. I started playing music and getting paid a lot of money and doing real well. But my father still can't wrap his head around it. So he's like, like I'll tell him I'm doing a podcast. He's like, how much you make for that? What do they pay you for that? I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> you got to do all this. My parents are so supportive. I think like, not that my dad was miserable 100% of the time, but when <laughs> I saw what doing what you didn't want to do the effect that comes on you. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And so my parents, they're so, everybody's really supportive. The only challenge I have is like with the woman that I'm dating, she doesn't understand where free time begins and work ends. Mm. To, mm-hmm. a, to an outsider, it looks like I'm not working. But I'm like, yeah. 100%. I'm working right now. Like I can't give you attention right now because I'm in the green room at the comedy club and I have to make sure that that staff is taking care of that the opening act's not making me look like an idiot, that I go check in with the manager of the club to make sure that if he needs me to do anything, I go, this is work. We're on the road, but this is this is all work. I know it sounds like I am on the phone with my friend. It's 100% my friend. But guess what? What we're talking about will lead to money for us, yeah. maybe not in a week, but three years from now, it might. It's all, it's all work. Yeah, yeah it's... It's that thing that it looks like show fun, but it's actually show business. 
Yes. You know, <laughs> my, yeah. my girlfriend actually just came down. I did a, I did a show down in Margate with my, uh, with my original music trio this past weekend. Cool. And my girlfriend came down with me for the first time. She's seen me do, you know, a couple of things. She actually met me as a person and d- didn't know me as an entertainer, awesome. which cool. is awesome. But yeah. she came down and she, she brought her daughter with her and she realized like, okay, we're there at 11 a.m. for a 12 o'clock sound check for a two o'clock downbeat for the show. And we're not leaving until six because I've got to wrap up all the cables and the sound equipment and all that. She goes, wow, like this is like a lot more than just that hour show I thought you did. You don't just walk up on stage and tell your ha ha stories and your sing your high notes. Right. Let's also yeah. not forget the amount of years of training. Learning the songs. Yeah. Like yeah. people think that this is easy. And like, especially like when I get writing work, they're like, yeah, you just sit down. You probably knock this out in a day. It's like, <laughs> I don't know if you know how this works. Remember doing homework? It was hard. <laughs> Larry Kasson's quote on screenwriting. It's like having homework every night for the rest of your life. <laughs> True. Dead on. And then the other thing is to your point, Mark, I don't think people realize the amount of dues it takes. Like, yeah. And I'm grateful for it, man, because it could either make you better or bitter. And somehow, through the grace of God, I became a more compassionate person because I got my ass kicked so much. Yeah. I understand that when people when they're not compassionate, I understand it. Like I know a very successful comedian that would like brag about getting paid in cash and being mean, the clubs and theaters because of the way he was treated on the way up and the frustrations of just hearing no for five years, 10 years, 15 years. Like I worked two jobs in LA minimum two day jobs in LA for about 10 11 years nonstop in addition to acting class, in addition to writing, in addition to stand up, in addition to going, oh, I can't come into work tomorrow because this comedian's going to let me do a gig with them five hours away. Like, yeah, it was brutal. Like I was talking to my girlfriend's dad and he's so cool because he's like a blue collar dude and he loves the fact that I get paid to do this. But I don't think I could go through the process again. I couldn't. I, I'm, I mean, it's it's t- like to be just being poor, like even if you're not working your balls off, which I was. Yeah. But just being poor for 10 years will like poverty leaves scars, man. Like, yeah, it's weird. Oh, yeah. I remember like I always for many years, I always had a job in a pizza place because I knew I could eat. Mm. You know? <laughs> I knew there was food there. And I, I, I can remember like going to the grocery store and having like $8 to spend on my groceries. Still to this day, I, I'll have, I'm going to New York as soon as we're done with this podcast. I have to go to New York for a uh, audition. And I'm immediately when I started to look up how to get there, I'm trying to figure out how to cut costs on the travel. Can I avoid the toll roads? Will I, will I be able to make it on time? If I, if, if I take the train in from Secaucus, will that be cheaper than if I just drive in and park next to where the audition is? Mm-hmm. Because I'm just so conditioned to being broke because I spent my 20s and most of my 30s broke, just scraping by, taking every gig I can, yep. saying yes to everything because it was an opportunity to move forward. Correct. Yeah, that, I think that's a huge distinction. A lot of young comics 
or young people in any profession, you have to think about. It's not just what you're going to get paid for that gig. It's the opportunity to move forward. I love how you phrase that. Yeah. It's so true. Oh, yeah, because right. that's I, I, a, I was just going to say that that's a chance that either you don't know who you're going to be performing in front of, or it's an opportunity for you to hone your craft in front of someone. So it's a win-win either way, as long as you're up there and in front of people. Correct. Yeah. But it's a losing. It it that is that is falling out of society for some reason, right? So with my business, I have a lot of younger guys that work with me. And at tw I first of all, I'm way older, and I still don't. I'm a yes man. My wife is always like, "You're a yes man. You say yes to everything." I'm like, "Yes." Yeah, you never know what that yes leads to. Who cares? Mm -hmm. What's the worst that could happen? I have an experience where I learned something. But these kids are like, uh. I don't know if it's worth my quality time. I'm like, well, you're 20 years old and you're worried about the quality of your life of the five hours that you're going to make get paid. I was like, get at it. And I'm not asking them to dig ditches. My, our lives are performing and hanging out with people and it's a Less, good time. Yeah. But yeah. But to your point, bro, I think we're in serious trouble. Like I don't care what yeah. your political beliefs are. This country's in trouble. Like I talked to a guy in a furniture store. Just making small talk, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we just started to talk, and he was he was a contractor. He knows how to. I was because I'm so fascinated by people with real man skills. Skills. Like I love going on the YouTube and get myself in trouble. Like uh, I'm gonna call somebody that knows what they're doing. <laughs> I love it though. Like it's something in my like Guinea Irish DNA of like, no, let's go to work. And I'm like I I'm terrible like. In wood shop, I made a cutting board for nine months. Like I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, mean? like, I just don't have them. And I'm so fascinated by people. Like, if I'm talking to this guy, and I'm like, I wish I knew how to do all that carpentry stuff because this guy could do everything. And then the other guy comes over and we start talking. They're all about my age, and he goes, "I." He goes, "The Steve. The problem was I would bid on jobs and I couldn't find anybody to help me." Mm. Yeah. It was like nobody wanted to show up and work. And he goes, I was paying them good money, but it wasn't enough. But it's never enough because they value that. They're like, well, my time, my me time is too important to make well, the, $300 for the day. I'm like, what? Because they're, they're trying to pretend they're, Let's do it. That's they're, trying to, they're trying to pretend they're 50 to 70 year olds where they actually have quality time because they put the work in. So now they can yes and no gigs. But when you're first starting, you have to just yes it because you'll never learn how to do what you're doing. You'll never get into, you know, it's the 10,000. You want to be a master of whatever you do. Like you got to put in the hours. And it's, these people don't want to put in the hours, but they want to still feel as if they're the master of their craft. And it's kind of sad what's going on. And, um, but I think it's also a generational thing where like, I, I just watched um, I can't think of the name of the movie on the flight home, but it's like the dad was like lucky to have a job. He was lucky to have gotten, uh, you know, a, a house. He was lucky to have the kid grew up in the house and thought dad's a sucker. He's working for the man. And I'm, I, I want something bigger. And it's like, and he was like shitting on his dad. Meanwhile, it's like dad, could have been homeless and not done anything or not, you know, been free or whatever. And so this kid's kind of like a dickhead, you know, like for you're sure. supposed to be rooting for him because he's trying to better himself. But at the same time, you're like, what a dickhead. Like your dad, you have to look at like the, the people that paved the road you're walking on. And I don't mm -hmm. think enough people do that.
Amen. I think you're absolutely right. And 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 when did having a job when did that become like something to be embarrassed about? Do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. in LA there was almost like this culture like, oh, you have to go to work tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, dick. My <laughs> I, I was I worked gr a graveyard shift at a gym. I did telemarketing. I did uh, PA work. I did craft services. I anything that uh, anything where I could get a job, uh, another fifty bucks, yeah. I'll do it. I, I worked every job at the comedy store, everything. But there's almost like this mentality where people they just they don't want to earn it. Well, you know, yeah. well, well, we were we were just talking about it a little bit ago about TikTok and YouTube and you know even what we're doing. You know, if you do that one thirty second video. That's going to get you famous for the next five months and you're going to get the, you know, however many million followers and you're going to get the the branding and the and the advertising and all this and the and the, the sponsorship and so on and so forth. And that's what everyone I, I cannot tell you when I was teaching, I, I, I taught as an assistant band director for four years. Wow. I cannot, How old I were kids? <laughs> fifth grade through 12th grade. Oh, my gosh. You're a saint. You're going. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. God bless you. That's amazing. yes. In in Philly, 16th and Vine, brother. Okay, <laughs> Center City, Philadelphia. Are you fucking kidding me? Anyway, so so I, I taught, and I cannot tell you. Whenever we would ask, especially the younger kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a YouTube star. Yeah. I want to be TikTok famous. And be like, how about a Plan B? Yeah, you know? yeah. it's like yeah. you know well, that, that's the 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 theme of everything we're talking about right now and we're talking about the the younger generation or the young person in the scenario none of them ever want to be a master of their craft none of them say i want to be the best writer i can be i want to be the best comedian i can be they just go i want to be famous we live in an instant society we live in a fast food society we right. think it's overnight successes because we've been lied to you hear all these stories. William Holden was found watching a theater. He came home from the war, and he was at a Broadway show when he was discovered. Yeah, he was also acting for like 15 years struggling, and then he went to the military, and he met the guy who got him his first big job at the Broadway show. But nobody tells that story. They just overnight success, and that was back when, in the late 50s or 40s? Yeah, like when a kid, I love mentoring young comics. Like, I I love it. Yeah, it, I, I it was such an intimidating process for me to go from somebody that is in the cubicle or on the job site or somebody that's working in an environment where they're barely clicking off one box on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> like, I know that level of frustration, and like being artists, we get that level of sensitivity and like. I remember working with a guy named Buzzy in my first cubicle job. Buzzy had just gotten out of the Navy. He was the greatest guy ever. And he was thrilled. I remember him holding up his paycheck like out of a, a movie. He was like, would you look at this? Everyone's full bennies too. Every two weeks. I'm on top of the world. And I was thinking about ways I could kill myself on the way home because I knew I could do that for another 40 years. Yeah. Different. We're all built different. And like – when I meet somebody that's built different, where they just can't do that normal thing, I'm like, yeah. how can I help? Okay. And I will say this, and this is not a knock, but over my 20 years in the comedy store, I can't think of anybody. I would explain the open mic system to the kids, the whole process. And I know things maybe did change the last couple of years when the comedy store was the hottest club in LA. 
But for a good 15 years, when I could get kids spots on the open mic, then it became impossible to, I mean, 10 year vets couldn't do an open mic there. Um, but I would explain to people, you just have to hang out, show up every week, just keep on showing up. That's it. Number one, just keep showing up. Nobody came more than three weeks in a row. Whereas for me, Pauly Shore walked me into that club. It was his mother's club. Pauly Shore walked me in, and it still took me eight years. Wow. Eight years of showing up before I got paid to do comedy there. Wow. I showed up every week for eight years for nothing. Yeah. So it goes all, I go, all right, man. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you it was easy. Yeah. Some- well, everybody it's- thinks there's a cheat code. And we're holding on to it because we make a living in entertainment. Give me the cheat code, man. Like, don't make me fight for it. Yeah, no, no, like, no, here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the cheat code, okay? And Thomas Edison said it be- better than anyone else. I mean, well, maybe he, maybe the guy who first said it and then Edison stole it. But <laughs> uh, what, what, what Edison's credited with so saying... So what did Tesla say? <laughs> so Tesla said uh, uh, that most people miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. That's it. You got to do the work. That's it. You got to get your hands. You got to get your hands dirty and you got to do it. You got to show up. Like, like you said, Steve, you got to fucking show up. If you don't show up, guess what? While you're sitting down, the guy behind you can see what you were looking at. And you know what I think? Good. I was going to say, I don't want, because I could easily sound like a cranky old man. I don't, I do not want that because I look at the lack of opportunity for a lot of these younger kids. And America used to work figuratively and literally. And it doesn't work in either sense of that definition. It just doesn't work anymore. Like you have these, I, I like customer service. Like yeah. you go to all company and there's no customer service. Like the few companies I, I, I choose to do, like my bank, Bank of America's got great customer service. And that's like why, because you can call and talk to a person. But so few of these companies, like you go to talk to somebody, it's frustrating. You got to do it yourself and you get disconnected and they were like, we'll call you back. And they never call you back and you can't figure anything out. Nothing works anymore. They've cut corners in this country so much that like, so the people at the top can make an extra 30 million this year. Meanwhile, the person down on the front lines doesn't have any backup. They're in a firefight trying to take care of customers. So I don't blame them for going, you know what? Forget it. I'm out. Let me go go get my 600 UBI. I, I, I get it. Because the opportunities aren't there. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's too good to do the job they're hired for. You know, it's like, it's, and the comedy club's a perfect example. Every, every MC should be featuring. Every feature wants to be a headliner. Every headliner wants to have a TV show. Every guy who has a TV show that comes back to comedy just wants to be a funny comic again. Nobody's okay with where they are. Everybody just- wants to be somewhere else. I'm I'm very happy to be a host. Just throwing that out there, <laughs> MC. I'm very happy to be hosting. Just keep me fucking working, you know. Especially because I'm not a fucking comedian. Just you know, just put me up there. I'll See? tell my I'll tell my you occasional ha ha story. You know, with my whole career, like, well, I'm just I'm like I'm a middle class comedian. What a blessing this is. Like now that I live in normal people, Florida. Like I don't live in Miami. I don't live at the beach. Like I'm in I I'm with normal people. And when they ask me what I do for a living, like I'm embarrassed to tell them. And I'm, and I'm also so grateful. Yeah. I'm so grateful that like I see all my neighbors wake up at 6 a.m. to go to work. And I'm like, going back to bed, <laughs> you know, like I can yep. check my and I'm like, this is a blessing. Like, I'm just so grateful for what I have. 
Yeah. Agreed. The I, world needs more buzzies too. Like buzzy, we need those buzzies to be happy, I, like grinding that out and doing what they yeah, gotta do. I think I'm like a comedian buzzy. I'm like, this is great. I have <laughs> weekends of work this month, a little yeah. money coming in here, a little money coming. That's all I need. I don't yeah. want to be famous. Ugh. A giant <laughs> breakthrough. A giant breakthrough I had was when I realized doing the work part of it is what makes me happy. Amen. You put me on and working on a project or working on a bit or whatever, it makes me just as happy as the performance. I don't. You don't even care about the paycheck. Like I remember when I started to get to the point where I could do stand-up comedy, opening up for friends, mm. with not with like people that are mentors, but legitimate peers, friends. Buddies, yeah. I was walking out of the club without picking up my check. They're like, "Steve, did you forget anything?" I'm like, "Got my keys. Got my phone." No, I think I'm good. Thanks so much. They're like, we got to pay you. And I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I started to work like in television where people pay for your lunch. I'm like, I get to laugh with buddies and we get free Chinese food. This is the greatest, like, <laughs> rich kid's birthday party. You're like, whoa, you guys have good all. Like, it was the greatest. It's a blessing. <laughs> It's all yeah. a blessing. It's so easy to lose focus of that. But, dude, I remember yeah. one of the best pieces of advice Andrew Dice Clay ever gave us when we were all door guys at the comedy store. It's like a Tuesday night, I would say the summer of 2002, July 2002. And it was probably about 1230 in the morning. Comedy store back then was dead. It was a ghost town. There was probably five customers in the room. We are all hanging out in the back. And I remember Dice saying, if you're not having fun now, get out. Mm. It's like so dead on. It was like this is the this is the whole reason to do it. It was like it's a school night. You're out with your buddies. It's one in the morning. You're laughing your balls off. Everybody else you know is back in bed, miserable, thinking about the terrible job they have to go to tomorrow to pay for the house they can't afford. He goes, if you're not enjoying this, get out now. He goes, this is the paycheck. Yeah, and he was right. You know, it's funny. He's not a well-known comic, but same situation. It was all the guys who were like, you know, just grinding it out and just getting the shittiest spots on the night or whatever. And he looked at us and he was like a paid weekend guy. And he looked at us and just said, just remember one day you're going to look back at this as those were the days because we were all like kind of miserable, even though we should have been appreciating every moment instead of, you know, bitching. And it's... Really These were the salad days, kids. <laughs> it's cool, bro. I uh, I love I love I love how positive you are. I think you're a rare person in this business. Um, every night coming in when I worked with you in Tampa was like I can't wait to see Steve because he's gonna have a big smile on his face. He's gonna be talking about something fun. He's gonna go on stage and have fun. I I'm starting to not like or appreciate the guys who go up and are just the miserable too good to be there can't ha- i can't be around it and the reason why it's so and funny my- i mean when i hear positive and it's so fun when people say oh steve's so positive like my brothers are like you are not positive like it's <laughs> the people that, but it's two different sides to the same coin like i'm positive because i know how miserable everything is and right now, if we make this choice, like what? A, like I'm in a backyard. I never thought 
in 20 years in LA, I would ever have a backyard. I thought I would need a sitcom to go into uh, syndication just to have a backyard in LA. Yeah. I moved to Florida and I'm like, oh, I don't have to make it. I could go scoop ice cream at Walmart and afford this house. This is awesome. <laughs> about that. Like I get to fly to Philly tomorrow. I'm probably going to break even on the gig by the time I pay for my car and pay for my hotel and pay for a sandwich. But I get to see my brothers. I get to make people laugh. I get to go see who's at the show. And it's going to lead to another gig. And who knows? And I'm going to hang out with you, Mark. And we're going to have some laughs. And maybe we'll go down to Geno's and sit in the VIP seats. And maybe that's what we'll do in Christmas when we come back. Because we'll be nice to everybody that we meet. And, like, I've been around people that were freakishly talented and they had everything I thought I wanted and they were so miserable. And I went, well, that's not it. It's, it's not supermodels and cocaine and fast cars because they want to kill themselves. And I'm like, then what's it really about? And dude, I got so miserable. I had a complete breakdown in my early thirties that I started going back to church. I'm like, I don't have any other options. <laughs> people go, why are you so happy? And, I, and they go, if you tell me it's Jesus, and I go, all right, I'm just not going to tell you. And because they haven't gotten to that point yet. But when I am on the phone now, what COVID's done is I'm talking to friends of mine and they're so miserable that I get excited. I'm like, oh, maybe they're ready for a breakthrough. I'm like, are you so miserable that you're ready to see the beauty and everything? <laughs> yeah. I think that's what it takes sometimes. You have to just keep on getting humbled. So you go, wait, I can't do this. It all does suck. God, what a yeah, I gotta, You keep on digging and then you're like, whoa, there's something going <laughs> here. You, you got to let me know if you guys are getting steaks tomorrow because I'm coming just so I can give you a hug, Steve. Jesus Christ, man. It's it's good to know that there's there's people like this in the industry, though, because so often you run like like you're saying, Mark, you run into people. They're just miserable, sad sacks. And you're just like, you get to do this. And you know, what's you so get to do this. That somehow people said that was the cool thing. Like yeah. you're better for being miserable. I remember when I started to do comedy, everybody was so negative that the more you complained, the more people thought you were a genius. And I yeah. go, wait a second. If I keep this going, I'm going to blow my brains out. Like that's yeah. no genius in that. And I remember like every, uh, at least my generation of comics, everybody went through their Bukowski phase and they were like, oh, this guy's so miserable. He gets it. I'm like, no, this guy's an idiot. He's yeah. so miserable that he doesn't get it at all. I yeah. remember being early twenties and realizing that. Bukowski. I'm like, yeah, if the little things, the snaps shoelace will send you to the nut house. I'm like, what about surprise donuts? Will you walk into a room and it, you just walk in and there's fresh donuts and anybody could have one? It doesn't have to be your birthday. You don't even work at the office. And they're not like chain franchise donuts. They're for some Korean guy that only has one thumb and it brings him joy to see them bubble perfectly before he pulls them out. And it, you know what I mean? And you're like, any you can get seconds because everybody's in the office is because it's LA and then they go we've never seen anybody enjoy a donut like that before and I'm like yeah because that's how miserable I've been <laughs> well I, there's nowhere to go from that that was a perfect perfect ending thank you for tuning in uh, come and check us out Thursday I will be opening for Steve at the Parks Casino uh, we'll be doing uh, Joe Conklin's comedy show at the Parks Casino. It's going to be a lot of fun. Wow. Come out, stick around, have a drink. We'll hang out. We're going to have some laughs. And um, thanks for tuning in. And well, Steve, we're going to have you back on because this was just so this is something I really needed. It was a shot of adrenaline that needed to get in me. Me too. I feel like I made friends. I can't wait to hang out with you guys. 
Same. I might have to come to Philly now to see this show. Come on. Have some laughs. Come down. Hey, guys. Have a great one. Night, guys. Bye.